everyone, and welcome to the Actually Autistic Podcast. And today I have as my guest Mick Bilikonski. He's a software engineer and incredible Twitter person. I, <laughs> do we call you a tweeter? I think I'll call you a tweeter. He, he's a masterclass tweeter, and I'm so happy to have him here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really uh, grateful that you invited me to join you here. Oh, I'm just pleased as punch that you could be here. I wonder where that expression came from. Anyway, pleased <laughs> as punch. Uh, somebody out there knows, I'm sure. So I saw you when you did a beautiful Twitter thread where you were basically talking about different autistic traits Mm-hmm. that other people may not realize are autistic traits. Mm-hmm. And you got a huge response from that that I felt was very moving in a lot of ways to read those responses. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about you. When right. did you first get the idea that you might be autistic? Oh, gosh. You know, it's one of those things that over the years, I sort of periodically sort of explored that notion, because uh, mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of us who sort of go undiagnosed, right, have this pervasive lifelong sense that something just doesn't quite make sense. But it's we don't really know how to talk about it. We don't know necessarily that we're different or that something really doesn't make sense. And so you sort of at least in my case, growing up undiagnosed and sort of constantly being on the, the quest of figuring out, well, why why does everything seem so different for me than it does, you know, for other people? Mm-hmm. One of the things you, you know, eventually explore or discover is like, could I be on the autism spectrum? And uh, I sort of had that thought several times over the years and I'd go and I'd look at like the diagnostic criteria and I'd say, oh, that doesn't sound anything like me. Right. So obviously I'm not autistic. It must be something else. It wasn't until I was sort of in my mid thirties and made kind of a conscious decision to uh, how to put it? I, I sort of, as a coping mechanism, had been living with like all of my emotions locked away, right? Like mm-hmm. I just had like this locked door in my head and I had this vague sense that if I opened it, I, you know, might be in trouble. Right. And at some point you realize that's not any way to go through life. And so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm in a pretty good place. Let me sort of open this door and see what comes out. And so I very seriously started Googling about autism again, along with many other things and discovered sort of for the first time, this must have been about maybe three years ago, Mm -hmm. two or three years ago, I was 34, so two years ago. So that would have been like 2017. And for the first time when I Googled, instead of just seeing like DSM links, I started seeing blog posts and tweets from autistic adults who'd self-diagnosed and who were kind of championing the neurodiversity movement. And I kind of got the message again and again that don't look at the DSM. Like, that's not, you're not going to see yourself there. And if you don't see yourself there, that doesn't mean you're not autistic. Right. For me, it became a question of just reading all of these blogs and, and reading and recognizing that I had so many experiences in common with these people to the point where at first it was like kind of, oh, that's weird. You know, I do that too. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you do this enough times and it's like, well, wait a second. Like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's going on here? So you dived into the research. Mm hmm and found things that resonated with you personally. Mm -hmm. And then about how long do you think that process took before you went, okay, there's clearly more than coincidence going on here. Mm -hmm. At what point did you feel comfortable identifying yourself as autistic? About how long did that process take? Jeez, I think I sort of sat with it for probably a year, honestly, and just Uh kind of went back and forth and, you know, thought, oh, that, that... it just doesn't, it, you know, it can't really be me. Am I just going to be blaming this identity because I'm making excuses for things that I should just, you know, toughen up and deal with? Am I taking something away from somebody else who has, like, real difficulties by recognizing myself in these descriptions? And I sort of struggled with all of that. And I remember distinctly the night that I realized and accepted that I was autistic. And it's it's kind of a horrifying story that I've never told anyone before. Um, I've been trying to figure out how to write about it 
but mm-hmm. maybe I'll just I'll, I'll tell you about it. And we, we want to hear it. So relationships have always been kind of a struggle for me in the ways that they often can be for undiagnosed autistic people. And mm-hmm. when I got married, I realized that I still had some sort of unresolved issues and some of the, the tensions that I was facing in my relationship were the result of me not really understanding myself well enough. And I realized that I had all of this fear and anxiety that I couldn't, I couldn't understand and I couldn't articulate until I started reading about masking and, and how that worked and how a lot of times if you're autistic but undiagnosed, it's because you learned how to mask and because all the diagnostic criteria are completely behavioral. If you learn how to not behave like an autistic child, then you will not get a diagnosis. And I thought, wait, that that does sound familiar. I'm constantly feeling pressure to like perform a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then the flip side of that was I stumbled on one of these blogs. I'm not even going to like mention it, but it, you might have heard of the, the Cassandras, the spouses and partners or former partners of people on the spectrum who uh, basically have, have uh, banded together, I guess, to start raising awareness maybe is how they would frame it of how awful it is to be in a relationship with an oh. autistic person. Oh no. And I started reading this thing thinking, well this isn't me and 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 what I found was that all of these deep shameful anxious thoughts that I had about like how I might be perceived by somebody who didn't understand if I failed to perform correct identity in some way. I started seeing like just this list of things that were oh Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like you could interpret my behavior in that way. I wouldn't use those words, and I'm I'm feeling all of this shame because that's how it's framed. But and I I I went down this list and started reading about the kinds of problems that people on the spectrum can have when they have relationships with people who are not on the spectrum, Mm -hmm. and somehow the sort of really just contemptuous, hateful language. Uh, resonated deeply with me. And I I recognize now that it's because I'd sort of internalized a ton of ableism and a ton of self-loathing around being Mm -hmm. my authentic self. And so I couldn't see myself reflected fully in autistic literature until I read somebody describing how much they hate autistic people. And that was when I just started sobbing and realized that, like, yeah, that's, this is me. Mm. And you were married then? Mm Mm-hmm. And so you talked to your spouse about it? Yeah, we, you know, my spouse has been very supportive and uh, has sort of helped me to understand and to work through a lot of this stuff. And um, that doesn't mean that, like, everything just gets easy. You know, we've got our share of struggles. But of course, having somebody who's willing to work with me and willing to be patient as I sort of catch up on several decades worth of personal development has been something I'm tremendously grateful for. It sounds like you're partners very supportive and working with you through these things all marriages require work mm-hmm. i've been with my husband for 20 years and we're still working on things from time to time mm-hmm. but there's been definitely a qualitative difference now that i understand that i'm autistic and as regular listeners of the podcast will know, I just found out last November, and it's currently May 1st. Mm-hmm. So this is still all very new to the both of us. Yeah, you're probably still going through the phase of uh, reevaluating your lifetime of memories through a different lens and recognizing a new way to recognize yourself, right? You know, it- that lasted three months and one week. <laughs> all right. <laughs> And it was so painful because, dude, I'm yeah. I'm 58 years old now. That's 58 freaking years mm-hmm. of memories. And I had two wonderful children and countless jobs. And once in a while, another memory will pop up. But there was that period of time where it was just relentless. And it was even happening in my dreams. Like, I mm-hmm. just could not get away unless I got really baked and played video games, which I did quite a bit of, and I still enjoy that activity, and I'm in a legal state, y'all, don't get freaked out, so, (laughs) but I think that process is really interesting, so you went through that process, how long do you feel like it took you? 
Um, I for me it was it was probably a good kind of six months of mm -hmm. figuring out what does it mean that I'm autistic. Like, what does it mean for my memory of my own life and the story that I tell myself about who I am, mm -hmm. and sort of that 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 part, sort of the reflection part. I'd say probably took about six months, and then it maybe took another six months to figure out for me what does this mean in terms of moving forward and about how I live and structure my life. I say that as though they were sort of two separate processes. It's all, it's all sort of mixed together, but there is this order to it. Once you sort of finish processing, okay, I'm not this broken person who can't function. I'm somebody who functions extremely well in spite of a disability. Then the flip side of that becomes like, what is it that I'm doing in my life right now that I wouldn't be doing if I had realized I was autistic, right? What are the... Mm -hmm. What is a reasonable standard of behavior and patience and sensory input and all of this to like to hold myself to? There's this phenomenon that happens I've read about in a lot of people who when they are diagnosed or self-diagnosed as adults, they find themselves suddenly being way more autistic than they ever were, you know? And this happened to me. I found myself not making eye contact during difficult conversations, which is not a thing I ever even thought would be helpful for me. It was actually kind of mm -hmm. weird. I was like, well, gosh, do autistic people not like to make eye contact? Why not? And I tried it and I was like, oh my God, all of this cognitive space kind of freed up for me when I'm not receiving that degree of input. And just sort of working my way forward in terms of this loud noises cause me distress, for instance, right? So right. does that mean that I should just sequester myself completely from all loud noises? Like, no, but finding the balance where it's okay for me to say, I don't want to do that because I don't want my, my sound sensitivity to be triggered is something that takes a bit of trial and error because you don't want to miss out on life and you don't want to cut yourself off and isolate yourself, but you learn sort of to be a little kinder and more patient with yourself. I agree. And I tend to think of it as not becoming more autistic as much as I do just becoming more accepting yeah. of my limitations and eliminating this constant internal argument mm -hmm. that I was always having with myself, where I would walk into a room and there'd be fluorescent lights and a lot of chaos and everything and this whole little talk I'd have where oh those fluorescent lights are really annoying and then this other part of my brain would go no you're just imagining that everybody's uh -huh. told you that you're imagining it and then I'd say well but nonetheless I think I'll sit near the window and oh my gosh that person over there with that really bright green shirt on I can barely look at them maybe I can look in this direction and then still that internal critic going on oh my gosh what the yep. you know what, uh -huh. what is going on with me that I can't even handle sitting behind a bright green shirt or all the gazillion things that can trip me up sometimes yeah. an inflection in somebody's voice really not being able to tell if somebody means to be lying and they're really bad at it or they're joking or <laughs> you know, anything I say at that point is, oh, I, you know, because you call somebody out on a lie thinking it's a joke and you've made an enemy mm -hmm. at that point. And so now that that internal critic is gone, dead, stabbed through the heart, finished, evicted, <laughs> out of here, now... My life is so much easier because if I detect that strange tone in somebody's voice, now I can say to myself, okay, there's something odd going on here and I don't know what it is, but I'm going to remember this. I'm going to file this feeling I have that this person is not trustworthy away somewhere and then I can hold on to that and decide later if that's a data point that I need to connect to other data points that will tell me mm -hmm. about this person. I also think that certainly in our 20s and then even in our 30s, sometimes we sort of have the feeling that we don't know how we're going to turn out yet. Mm -hmm. But at 58, you know how you're turned out. <laughs> <laughs> A whole bunch of things that you wondered, like, am I going to have kids? Am I going to get married? What kind of career am I going to have? You know, I'm almost 60. I've got the answer to most of those questions. And that takes a tremendous amount of pressure off in terms yeah. of my expectations on myself. In that sense, I think for me, it was helpful in some ways that I found out so late. I, I, you know, it's a constant 
thing that I'm dealing with just because there's, for one thing, so few women my age that I can walk up to and go, hey, how about them fluorescent lights, you know? <laughs> it's, like, mm-hmm. it, it's really pretty rare. And so that's a big reason why I'm making this podcast is I'm kind of trying to reach out to my cohort and see if I can find them all out there. And then in the process, I've just met so many amazing, wonderful people like yourself. So you got through that process, more Mm -hmm. or less, and you got to the other side of that. And then how did you feel after that when you're like, okay, this is me. I've gone through my memories. Now I want to move forward with it. Do you feel like you made some choices in terms of being open about who you are? How did you decide to kind of come out as an autistic person? Yeah, so there were a few years there where it was it was really hard. And I was going to work every day and knowing that I was not at my best. I was dealing with a lot of stressors from various stuff going on in my personal life, which I understand now when there's stressors in my personal life, my ability to manage my own autism just goes away. Mm -hmm. And so having entered into a particularly stressful period, I was sort of stunned at just how debilitating the whole thing was. And I got to a point where I needed to take a break from work and have an intervention with uh, with a therapist and a psychiatrist. And Mm -hmm. my job was incredibly supportive, Mm -hmm. uh, gave me the time off. And I changed my medication and was also diagnosed for the first time with a comorbid ADHD and was put on Vyvanse. Mm. And what happened was just completely incredible. All of this completely overwhelming sense of I can't even get in front of this thing mm-hmm. went away. I had this moment where I sat down on my sofa and just had this thought like, what, what's wrong? Something's weird. And realized that I had no inner monologue. The world was quiet. Mm. And I had never experienced that before. And so from that moment, things have been incredibly different for me. I was able to suddenly start working on side projects, pursuing things that interested me, doing anything other than just barely holding on because I had the capacity to use my brand to figure stuff out, come up with coping strategies. I had the executive function suddenly to, to implement my coping strategies. And all of that put me in this amazing place where I had this transformative experience. I've got a very young, a couple of very young brothers-in-law, but I've got a 10-year-old brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And he and his brother, they love the musical Les Mis. There was the local high school was, I guess, putting on Les Mis this spring. And my, my little brother-in-law auditioned to play the role of Gavroche, who's like a younger kid in the, in the play, mm-hmm. and got it. And so we, we went up to see them perform this play. Now, Les Mis, the novel, was really formative and important for me in high school. When I read this book, it sort of taught me for the first time in a way that I hadn't fully understood that every person in the world had an internal subjective life that was as real as my own. And that was something that I, it's hard to talk about what I mean when I say that I didn't know that. On some level, of course, I knew that. But on some level, it hadn't been real for me until I read this particular book, which is all about compelling the reader not to look away from the fundamental humanity of everybody, no matter their lot in life. Mm -hmm. And it was really important to me. And so when I went to go see this musical 20 years later, there were just these two scenes. One where the little girl, Cosette, is singing this beautiful song, highly imaginative, and then she's got an adult in her life that comes out and just starts yelling at her and shuts her down. And I just, I was sitting there thinking, oh, poor Cosette. It's so sad if you're like this person with this rich inner life and this subjective experience that nobody else can see and you've got no way to express it. That's just tragic. How would she even grow? Oh my God. And it just hit me like this ton of bricks that I was identifying with her so strongly, not because my parents were horrible or anything like that, but because something that I just finally understood was that, like you were saying about the lights, the fluorescent lights, right? Where people Mm -hmm. have told you your whole life you're imagining it. That's not because they're being abusive to you. It's because you're having a subjective experience that none of the rest of them are. And so when everybody talks about like, is this real? The consensus is no. Right. And when you have enough of those experiences, what you eventually learn is just to stop even sharing yourself and your subjective experiences with other people. You just shut down. Mm -hmm. And so there's this moment in this play when I recognized that I was projecting all of this onto this little girl and, and really realized that I was actually thinking about myself. And then there was this second scene later in the play where the main character is this uh, Jean Valjean, and he's like a former prisoner, criminal, and he's trying to 
confess his identity to the character Marius. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done, I've got this friend, he was a criminal, but he tried to reform, and he's got this really fragmented sense of self. And there's this moment where Marius figures out what's going on, and he just stands up and just sings very clearly, you're Jean Valjean. And I lost it. The combination of realizing just how much of myself I had stopped showing to anybody with the realization that scene, we are social animals. We are not complete. We are not healthy. Mm-hmm. If our identity is not reflected back at us by the people around us, it is a fundamental part of what it means to be a healthy and functional human being. Mm-hmm. And I just, I realized that I had been too ashamed to show myself to anybody, right? And mm-hmm. so as a result, I had this sustained ongoing trauma of not being a complete person, not being seen by anybody in the world. And for me in that moment, I just, I feel like I dropped 2,000 pounds of shame right there on the floor. And I just, I realized I don't, this shame isn't helping me. This is not, this is not a thing that I need. This is something other people have put here and I don't have to accept it. And I have felt a million times better ever since. I got got back home and started writing about autism, started writing about my experience. Wow. So when was this? This was this spring. This was like in March. Uh, so this just happened. Yeah, I'm, I very much And feel this like, is why the arts matter, right? This is oh why... Oh, my God, yes, this yes. This is why Les Mis matters. This is why Shakespeare matters. This is why Harry Potter matters, because... Absolutely. You know, when I saw Hermione, mm-hmm. I recognized myself. Mm-hmm. I had never seen myself represented that way. I was a little irritated that she wasn't the main character, obviously, because she's clearly <laughs> the most interesting character. Oh, in my head canon, she's clearly the main character. Obviously. She's just too and busy she, to show up in many of the pages. Exactly. <laughs> and and we know that she was originally meant to be the main character, and misogynists mm-hmm. talked, uh, mm-hmm. talked her out of doing that but so it goes anyway this stuff is so intense and so powerful that is just the most beautiful story honestly that's just gorgeous i'm gonna go watch les mis again just to celebrate (laughs) that's incredible thank you well what i would like to do if you don't mind i'd like to go through that twitter thread that you did sure and i'd like you to pose all those questions to our audience because as, as we discussed when I was inviting you to do the podcast, not everybody feels comfortable going on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I would really like everybody to have the advantage of hearing these wonderful questions that you posed. Sure. So this thread is super long. But for anybody who hasn't seen it, it was done on April 1st. One of the things that a lot of autistic people were talking about leading into April was that Autism Speaks, this sort of horrible farce of a charity, has decided that April is World Autism Month. That's a little frustrating, right? Because they don't really represent us. Right. And so I thought, okay, let, let me put out my own message here about autism awareness and just sort of, I was trying to be a little bit cheeky. I said, some percentage of you who are reading this are actually autistic and aren't aware of it. Mm-hmm. And I just started asking these questions, which were my attempt to synthesize the diagnostic criteria and to pull them away from this purely behavioral third-party description of an alien and into a first-person subjective, this is what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And the response has just been incredible. So let's... Go ahead, and I'm just going to read that first tweet, and then we'll talk Mm -hmm. about the next one. Here, Mick says, Hey, how's this for Autism Awareness Month? Some percentage of you who are reading this tweet are actually autistic and aren't aware of it. I'm going to post a bunch of questions I wish I had been asked in this context years ago. This is not diagnosis, but it's instructive. So let's start with that first one that's under that. How about you read that for us, and then we can talk about it a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you need a lot of time alone? Even in a relationship or family, even when you really love the other people in your life, even or especially when there isn't anything particularly pressing for you to do? All right. Everybody in the audience, raise your hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely me. And when you spend time alone, do you feel automatically lonely? No, God, no. No, me either. Yeah, I I mean, loneliness is something I've absolutely struggled with on and off in my life, but Mm -hmm. not from spending a day or even like a week just in isolation. I'm totally fine with that. Right, right. And so that's an easy one, right? Well, it is, but it's also, I don't know, I guess if I wanted to unpack this a little bit more, this is Mm -hmm. recognizing that I was on the spectrum 
finally allowed me to make sense of this thing, which I had been carrying so much shame and guilt and just wrong feeling this about. Mm -hmm. What the hell is wrong with me that I'm constantly isolating myself to a degree that I everybody see. tells me is, uh, is unhealthy or weird, right? And mm -hmm. why do I still want to do it? You know, what's wrong with me? And now I understand. It's not that there's something wrong with me. This is just how, what my body and what my brain need in order to process. Yeah, and it's a skill. And people mm -hmm. who can't do it often wish that they could. The idea that somebody can be content with themselves in a situation and not need anybody else there to reinforce them every second of the day, I think that can definitely be a net positive. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's go to the next one. Do loud noises cause you distress or background sounds that won't quite stop? Do you prefer to keep the lights off? Are there foods you can't eat or fabrics you can't wear because the textures just feel bad in a way that you can't explain? This gets at sort of the, the comorbid sensory processing disorder that so many of us have, right? Mm -hmm. And again, I feel like because we live in an holistic society that those sensory sensitivities automatically get classified as a bad thing mm -hmm. when they can be a very good thing. It's very helpful when you're a painter to be able to discern a whole bunch more colors mm -hmm. than somebody else who doesn't have those sensory sensitivities and might not see in all those different ways. And it's all kind of tied in, too, in terms of the way we're able to recall things. Mm -hmm. I suspect that our being overwhelmed by all this information, it's still information, <laughs> you know? Yes. It, it still can be a good thing. What's difficult is when people refuse to believe that other people yes. experience the world in a different way than they Absolutely. do. Absolutely. And so we're back to the, the nightmare of the fluorescent lights. And picture me entering the workforce in the late 70s mm -hmm. when pantyhose was required mm -hmm. if you were going to get a job anywhere. And they were the worst thing, the worst thing in the world for oh me. Oh, my God. I, I can't mean, imagine. Yeah. Horrible, itchy. Like, I could not stop thinking about them once I had them on. And so... Completely demand all your attention. Exactly. I, I must have looked distracted or something because I'd go for a job interview and all I could think about was the damn pantyhose. So... I would go to fairly elaborate means to avoid wearing pantyhose. That meant that I did not wear skirts until 1990, mm -hmm. unless it was like a long maxi skirt, because I could not handle the freaking pantyhose. I'm so glad that's not something that we have to deal with. And then the foods that we can and can't eat. Mm -hmm. I became a vegetarian, I don't know, in my 20s, because I was just a little too conscious of the animal I was eating. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I could not stop thinking about that being a chicken at some right. point. <laughs> no, I, I get that, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I could not detach my awareness of where the food came from, and eventually that got to a point where... I became a vegetarian. But there's also other things. I can't handle spicy food. I can't handle bitter food. Do you have any particular food textures that, oh, that you avoid or yeah, like, tastes? I, I used to pride myself on just being able to eat anything. You know, mm. I, I would I lived in Japan and people were constantly trying to surprise me with, oh, here's some raw sea slug. You're not going to like this one. Have some horse meat, whatever. Mm -hmm. No problem. I love it. But as I've gotten older and especially as I've realized that I'm on the spectrum, my ability to just consume random stuff has just gone away. I can't, I live in a neighborhood right now surrounded by some of the best Indian, mm -hmm. uh, Jamaican, Korean food in New York City. And I just can't bring myself to eat it a lot of the times. And it's not that I don't like it. It's that the spices are so overwhelming. Right. Not because they're too hot, but because they're just, if you could season it with 10% of what's on there, maybe that would be better, right? But all I can taste is the spice. Mm -hmm. It's just too intense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. 
Okay, let's go to the next one. When you think about interacting with strangers or acquaintances or friends or family, how much effort do you put into being understood? Are you compensating, maybe without realizing it, for the fact that nobody understands you? Unless you reframe what you're thinking in terms that you've slowly learned that they grok. So let's talk about grok, (laughs) (laughs) which is one of my very favorite words. And that's a Heinlein invention, right? That is a Heinlein invention. And the, the name of that book is... Oh, that's was that from Stranger in a Strange Land? Stranger in a Strange Land, which is a book that now I need to go read again. (laughs) You know, I never actually read that one. Maybe I should. Maybe I. Oh yeah, you know, you have to get past the the misogyny, the misogyny. misogyny. Yeah, Yeah. just assume that there's misogyny and that he's clearly a lecherous old dude. Mm Mm-hmm. But if you can put that aside and read it as a historical document about alienation in our culture and how this one character gets past it and uses their differences to bring their community together, it Mm. has some really touching moments. But to grok means to deeply understand at an almost cellular level what somebody else is telling you or the experience that somebody else is relating to you in some way. So now that you know that you're autistic, has that effort to act as a translator between your thoughts and an holistic person, has that gotten easier or harder, or have you just thrown it out the window altogether? That's something I learned from a very young age. I've always been gifted with languages. I grew up bilingual. I've Mm. always been buried in books, you know, from the Mm -hmm. time I was in first grade. I had a paperback in one hand and a second one in my pocket, right? Mm -hmm. Learning to translate, learning to communicate for me has become so second nature that at this point, I don't think about it as making any kind of extra effort because the steps required are so transparent. Those neural pathways are just there. So right. like, but in interacting with sort of other neurodivergent people and in reading more about other autistic people in particular and ADHD people and the ways in which they can have communication struggles, I have a very clear sense now of this thing, which is that I think in terms of a graph, this multidimensional space where anything can connect to anything, Mm -hmm. but you have to speak in terms of a line. And so that mechanism whereby you take your complex graph space and you reduce it down to a single linear dimension is something that I've gotten very good at. And it wasn't until relatively recently that I realized just how interesting that actually is. Mm-hmm. And it certainly relates to your ability to be a master tweeter. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I have never thought of myself as a master tweeter before. Before uh, before I went on Vivance, I was... It's actually funny. The week I went on Vivance, I, ha- I made like two Twitter jokes that were no different from any of the other Twitter jokes I thought I'd made over the years. But they both kind of went viral, had thousands and thousands and thousands of shares. And I was, what the... What has changed? And then I wrote this Twitter thread and... Now I apparently uh, am good at Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) It was a superpower waiting to happen. I guess so. Wonderful. Okay, let's go to the next question here. Yeah, when you see a complex system, does your brain get excited? Do you automatically find that your awareness can easily flow through the system? You can consider its many parts in relation to each other and to the whole, etc. Do you understand more than you can say in this context? I love this one. In part because it describes something that I had never seen articulated before. And in part because it is one of the overwhelmingly positive traits of being Uh autistic. Yes. And it's incredibly powerful. And you can see why if you're in an office job and you have the ability to come in and instantly suss out what everybody else is doing and how to do their jobs, why they might feel a little threatened. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, my God. When I entered the workforce, I remember being like a 22-year-old, maybe like when I was 26 and I became a programmer, three months of experience under my belt. And I I would be correcting people, insisting, no, this doing this way is wrong because I hadn't understood that the way I understood things was different from the way other people understood things and that I was... 
which is not to say that I was right, by the way. One of the important lessons for me to learn from that was no matter how complex my model of this system is, there are always going to be inputs or aspects of it that I have like neglected to take into consideration because mm -hmm. no system exists in isolation. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's this sometimes this tendency I've struggled against to think, well, I've modeled it, therefore it's done. And I now understand that, well, I've modeled it, but that's just a model, right? Right. <laughs> it turns right. out that your coworkers' emotions are actually a really important and relevant part of the total system in which you're participating, right? You can't just like act like that's not true. Mm -hmm. And yet. And yet. And yet. And you're still seeing it from a different perspective. I always felt like I would walk into a company and everybody else just sort of had their little piece of it, but then mm -hmm. I would come in and I could instantly draw a map yes. of the whole place. And when people are trying to get away with doing as little as possible mm -hmm. or are heavily involved in status battles... Or are just in the job because they've got a nine-to-five and it's not their identity and they're not interested in, like... <laughs> you know, giving but, 110%, right? For, you know, right, like. right. But nonetheless, I, I found that people, in particular, holistic people seem to think that they are more ca camouflaged than they really are. Yeah. And often autistics feel the same way, too. They're like, oh, I am masking now. Nobody can tell that I'm different <laughs> than everybody else. And yet, uh -huh. and yet the research shows that we get spotted immediately. Even if people don't have the language to explain what they're seeing, mm -hmm. they know right away that there's something about us that can make them feel uncomfortable or feel like we're unpredictable in some fashion. Obviously, this is our joy, right? These complex mm -hmm. systems. These are our mental playgrounds when I we find if, them. Yeah. If there's anything in this thread that, to me, that I would be willing to say, I bet this is a core experience of almost every autistic person, it would be this one. Because mm -hmm. I think that the reason we do this is that our brains never stop making connections. Mm -hmm. When when you see, so I'm face blind and I can't visualize things in my head. I can't, aphantasia. Mm -hmm. The reason that that's the case, I think, or this is my current hypothesis, is that when I look at a picture, for instance, I don't commit the visual to memory. Instead, I my eyes parse it. They understand the things that are in that image, some subset of them, right? I build like a mental graph of what that image represents. And then where other people might store the actual image so that they can remember it later, I throw it away. I just store that graph of things that I extracted from it, right? Mm -hmm. Everything that I that comes in through any one of my senses is constantly being integrated into this giant model that I have in my head. And I can't not do that. And it can be bad, right? I think one of the reasons a, a lot of us smoke so much pot is that it sort of lets us turn that off. Mm -hmm. But this has such, th there's this amazing upside to this, which is, I'm going to get into emotions in the next one, but this, this ties in here. Uh-huh. I, I think of emotions as senses. I think that when you're angry, that is a sense about something that is true about your internal subjective state. When you're sad, that's a sense. These are signals that like your body is sending to you mm -hmm. that are detecting internal rather than external states. Mm -hmm. And I've got this sense that as an autistic person who is constantly building up this model, I have this emotional sense, which I have been referring to as discontinuity detection. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's, it's kind of this cliche that autistic people get really particularly hung up on what is true, what is correct, what is ambiguous. This fact that you just told me doesn't quite fit. I need to ask you some questions, right? Mm -hmm. The reason we're doing this is because we're constantly taking input, translating it into nodes in this graph, and then adding it to the graph. And when that node doesn't fit into the graph, because there's some mismatch mm -hmm. between our understanding of the world and the input that we've just received, everything grinds to a halt. And we have a sense that something here doesn't fit. Yes. And we have to think about it. it the reason I call it a sense is that I feel like a lot of people, when they look at a given system, might see, oh, okay, well, that's a discontinuity there. That doesn't fit. But for me, I don't know what the discontinuity is. The cognition comes after the detection, right? Mm -hmm. I, is that something that like resonates with you? 
Well, I am hyperfantasic. Okay. So I am incredibly visual, but I okay. also have face blindness. <laughs> Interesting. Isn't that weird? So I really prefer people that have distinctive features of some kind and mm-hmm. get really thrown off if somebody changes their hairstyle. Yep. And at the same time, though, I became a pretty decent portrait artist hmm. because I am looking so closely at sure. people's faces. <laughs> and then I realized at some point, because I, I've been fascinated with faces my entire life, like absolutely obsessed with faces. Mm-hmm. I started drawing faces like that was the first thing I began drawing and realized at some point when I was in college and I was doodling somebody's face that it was the lady I had seen pass me in the hall 10 minutes ago. And so when we talk about echolalia and how one trait of autism can be just sort of regurgitating phrases that we heard earlier, I feel like I have visual echolalia. That's really interesting. I totally see how that could be the case. And so when when I perceive that something isn't fitting, there's a big literal blind spot in my head where I'm like, okay, what goes there? What goes there? What goes there? Ah. And just like any other artist who's trying to finish a painting or a sculpture, if you don't know what goes in that spot, you can't stop thinking about it. I I know that I can't. And that question of why, why, why just will not frickin' go away. (laughs) Yes. And that that puzzle that's in there. So if you, I think, were raised in a community or a family that prizes intellectual curiosity, Mm -hmm. as my family did, and for which I'm very grateful, then these kinds of puzzles, you embrace them, you enjoy them, and... You know, I love Shakespeare, and one of the reasons I love Shakespeare is because it's full of puzzles. Yes. Because every single line can have three, four, five meanings that foreshadows or all of this really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So I agree. I feel like this is kind of a superpower. And I, I want to be clear that sometimes, I mean, because we're talking about Shakespeare and painting and software and all of these things that our culture recognizes as being a positive thing. But I'm going through the same thing when I'm loading the dishwasher. I'm thinking about, yeah. yes. okay, what's yes. the best way to load the silverware? So now I'm at this point where, okay, you put the forks in all together in the dishwasher, but not too close so the water doesn't get it. You come up with all these freaking systems and every small thing for yep. small things and i think those are super valuable so for my listeners who are out there and who are feeling like well but you know all my systems apply to or taking care of the cat or yeah. you know whatever it is it's still a really valuable thing and very distressing when mm-hmm. executive dysfunction kicks in when a burnout kicks in and we can't do it. Yes. Oh, my God, yes. It's so painful. I had such bad burnout, and I knew that I was in trouble. I, I work as a software engineer. I've done this for many years. I'm good at it. And I hit a point in my burnout where I could not I could not integrate new knowledge into my head. I just couldn't. I could not yeah. work. And it's, it's exactly this, because this constant modeling is so exhausting if you don't realize that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's 100% a superpower. And also, if you don't take care of yourself and if you're not aware of the costs that it can have, it is a great way to burn out all of your energy by accident. Yeah, you don't know. And you feel so guilty about it. Yeah. Because from the outside, wow, I look really lazy. And mm-hmm. one of the frustrating things for me always was when I would be in that state and not know why... And people would say, oh, well, you know, you're just having a good time relaxing. Enjoy it. 
And that's not how it felt at all. Oh, my God. I know. I know. You get to, like, oh, you're burned out. That's fine. Take a vacation. You'll feel yeah. better. Okay, I take a vacation. I come back. I feel just as burned out as I was. Like, why didn't that work? I feel horrible. And now I can't, like, take any more time off for a while. Because mm-hmm. if you don't know what it is, you can't actually you address can't. it. You can't. And I have theories about this. I suspect we may be suffering from light poisoning. I worry about the fact that we stare into these screens all day. Hmm. And I'm really wondering if these light-emitting devices, if they are exacerbating burnout at some point. Because what I'm finding is that when the burnout hits me, I have to lie down and close my eyes. I can't be on my phone. I can't be on the computer. Nothing. So hmm. boring. <laughs> so freaking boring. But if I can do that, then for me, I can come out of the burnout probably a third faster and have cut way back on the migraines. So probably... You know, a a possible fruitful place for study in the future. Let's see, we're getting a a little bit on a tangent, which is okay. That's what we do. Go ahead and just read that again, and then we'll go on to the next one, because I really think it's worth repeating. When you see a complex system, does your brain get excited? Do you automatically find that your awareness can easily flow through the system? Consider its many parts in relation to each other and the whole, etc.? Do you understand more than you can say in this context? All right. Big green check mark there. Okay, next one. (laughs) All right. Do you struggle with emotions, especially with emotions around other people? Do you sometimes suspect that you're not having the right emotional response to something? Do you get really fixated on things like fairness or truth or or correctness? Oh, my gosh, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (sighs) So I have thoughts on this. I, um, I've not seen research into this, but there is this sense, right, that we all, we've talked already about sensory processing disorder. We've talked about how people on the spectrum can be either hyper or hyposensitive along any number of different axes. And being hyper on hearing doesn't mean anything about your sense of smell or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's so if emotions as I was saying a little earlier, our senses that detect internal state changes. Is it maybe the case that the emotional difficulties that some of us have is are, it's actually a form of sensory processing disorder? Is it the case that when I feel certain feelings, I feel them like way more strongly than other people do, which is something I've suspected my whole mm-hmm. life? Or some other feelings, is it the case that I just, I feel them less strongly? Or do I just feel different feelings? Right. Right. Well, my experience of this is that people are in layers and Mm -hmm. often holistic people and autistic people, too, especially if we're masking, have this sort of exterior persona Mm -hmm. that we're supposed to be relating to that I can't see at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I always feel like. I am responding emotionally to the person behind that public persona. Interesting. So if somebody says to me, if I say, hi, how are you? Which for me was never a casual thing. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's query. a genuine it's a request question. for information. How are <laughs> you? And the person says, fine. And I can see that they're not Mm -hmm. fine, Mm -hmm. then inevitably I would feel sad for them or I would feel lied to or like they didn't trust me. And then already we're on different footing. My emotional response is not matching up to what they expected because they were expecting me to respond to that, yeah, everything's fine, leave me alone signal, which I missed completely yep but i think the other part of this particular question is do you get really fixated on things like fairness and truth or correctness and oh yes (laughs) you know (laughs) i don't know how many jobs i've lost because i was trying to champion somebody else it wasn't even about me it was about trying to keep somebody else from getting hurt or unfairly treated and i couldn't let it go 
I felt like mm-hmm. it was my job to say something. And you know what? It usually wasn't. <laughs> it usually. Oh, goodness. All right. Let- but, like, maybe it should have been, right? Like, that's. I, I struggle with this mm-hmm. in the context of work as well. I, you know, I work in software engineering. And so stuff like, hey, if we roll out this system that adds cameras and all of these train stations for advertisers, you can just do that, right? right? I'm like, well, well, no, I refuse to do that. And I can give you all these reasons you don't care about, but it's just not something I can do. Right. Yeah, it's not something I know how to compromise. Right. And that's why I end up working for myself. I've gone back and forth on that. Yeah, I did find that switching to consulting was, it removed so much stress from my professional life. I'll bet. And then also at the same time, it added all of this stress around, you know, trying to run my own company while having severe executive dysfunction. (laughs) And so it's a constant trade-off. I do feel like it's worth it. I really do, because I won't fit into anybody else's system. Mm -hmm. You know, the executive dysfunction can kick in just as heavy if I'm working for somebody else. True enough. And after I got my MFA in theater and I wanted to get involved in the local theater community, I realized that I wasn't comfortable in any of and just started my own so that I could be sure that there wasn't anybody trying to screw my actors. Basically, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so much exploitation that happens. There is. And when when you can see the whole system Mm -hmm. and you can see that somebody is in charge of this and somebody's in charge Mm -hmm. of that, you think, okay, well, I should be the one in charge of this because I care about this. So how can I rearrange the world to make that the case? And I want to be clear. There's some great theater companies out there. People don't, you know, don't feel like you have to defend the theater community to me. But those of you in theater know exactly what the heck I'm talking about. Anyway, I I always highly recommend that people consider starting their own business. Okay, so let's go on to the next one. Yeah, this is something I've never really heard somebody else say exactly, mm-hmm. but it's something that I feel very strongly is obvious to me. Yes. Which is, do you find that there are a small number of people in your life with whom you've connected immediately powerfully felt like you've known them your whole life people who can finish your thoughts and then add more and who push you rather than slowing you down are these people rare oh yeah so precious the thing that has been really kind of funny to me is a number of people from my past that i've like really connected with in this way and then like lost touch with i'm not great at maintaining relationships you know but i i like having friends everywhere and whatever like a number of these people have since i publicly came out as autistic have told me, oh, by the way, I was also diagnosed, Uh right? There is this sense that I now have that the people that I'm capable even of being really good friends with are all probably on the spectrum somewhere Yes. or neurodivergent or, you know, Yes. but you can't just like tell somebody, hey, I think you're autistic, right? That doesn't, (laughs) so it's like, yeah. I have a couple times, but it's. Yeah. How'd that work out? You know, I'm, I'm okay at it. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll say something like, hey, I'm learning this thing about myself. Do any of these traits resonate with you? And then I'll go through the list of traits and I'll talk about these different things. Because the way I found out was so freaking accidental. It's crazy how I found out because... How'd you find out? I was on Facebook and a friend of mine posted something and she'd never really talked about autism or anything like that. And it was basically this quote that said, uh, do you know a girl who's really into fantasy novels and horses and who maybe has trouble making friends and who could do really well at school, but school makes her anxious. And, you know, she's going down this whole list of things. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, that's me. That's me. (laughs) And I thought at the end of it, it was going to say, well, that girl is awesome. Mm -hmm. But at the end, it said, well, she may be autistic. And (laughs) yep, I was floored floored because this person is somebody who I respect very much and like very much and I knew that when she posts things like she's a very sincere person Mm -hmm. and this just blew my mind and so then I 
started doing the deep dive and I found Samantha Kraft's list of common traits for women on the spectrum. And I Mm -hmm. went through there and I thought, well, everybody has some of these. And then I thought, well, but not everybody has 95% of these. (laughs) There's something going on here. And, uh, but because, again, I'm pushing 60 here and I'm past the illusions that I'm going to turn into somebody else at some point, Mm-hmm. Then I knew, you know, I knew that this applied to me when I would watch videos and read the blogs and go, oh, my gosh, that's me. That's my life story. And knowing that if I sat down with that person for a cup of tea, that we'd have more in common than 90 yeah. percent of the people that I've ever met yep. in my whole life. Even if you don't share any special interests or exact experiences with them, you can still talk about the world in a way that is mutually intelligible and satisfying. And that's, I don't think holistic people realize what exactly it means to have that be rare. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How often I would hold back. When I first started joining the Facebook groups, I was really struck by somebody would pose something a question or an experience, and I would ask questions, and they wouldn't get offended. Right. <laughs> or they'd, they'd understand what you meant without you having to restate it four yeah, times. Yeah, right? and I wouldn't like, have to say, I'm just really curious about this. You know, there's no pressure, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. All this sort of preamble that I have to do 90% of mm-hmm. the time, I could just go, well, but why did you say that to your boyfriend? Or have you ever thought about being this? And people not getting freaking upset. It just makes for such a wonderful conversation to have with somebody. And then I also feel like when people are understanding the language of systems, when you jump to that level of communication and don't leave them in the dust, mm-hmm. it's like flying. Yeah, this sense of that, the tweet said, people who push you rather than slowing yes. you down, right? Yes. It's like until you start having those conversations, you don't even realize how much of your life is spent waiting for people to catch up. And I don't say that with judgment. I say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just as an experience. You know, it doesn't make me better. It just means that I'm here and I'm going to try to explain this thing that I'm feeling and it's going to take us a few tries and then we'll get to the next one. Well, and when you're used to seeing patterns Mm -hmm. and when a lot of people have conversations as almost kind of a ritual, Mm -hmm. you know what they're going to say next. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I've learned not to finish people's sentences for them. (laughs) I still struggle with that. (laughs) But it was a struggle, and it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I realized that this was upsetting people when I did that. I was just trying to get to the interesting part. Yeah, no, exactly. I wasn't trying to silence anybody or anything like that. I was trying to show that I empathized and understood. But that's never taken that way. (laughs) No. It's it's just not how it's going to be understood ever. it's... And it's because the communication is for a different purpose than what we're having it for. And it's, again, another reason why I do this podcast, because I get to have these incredible conversations with people that I've always wanted to have. You know, people would end up in a conversation with me, and all of a sudden, shit would get really real, really fast. Mm -hmm. And they would walk away kind of bewildered that things got so intense so quickly and to me i'm off to do my shopping now you know <laughs> no big whoop yeah right this is this is a tuesday everything is Every, this intense exactly, all the time exactly exactly and interesting and exciting yeah okay let's go on to the next one all right so when you first entered society and by this i mean like kindergarten or whatever did you have a sense that everyone else must have somehow already known each other that they all somehow knew the rules and you didn't or something? Did you spend 5, 10, 15 years playing catch-up? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> this is another one of those things you're never going to find uh, in the DSM, right? <laughs> this is like... Yeah. But the number of people who've responded to this saying, you know, until I read this one, I was on the fence. But yes, yeah. this experience, I remember I was five years old and confused as to why everyone else on the playground knew how to interact. I'm like, yeah, that... It's a kind of a 
defining experience, I feel like, for a lot of us. And I thought it was because we moved a lot and I didn't have any siblings until I was 12 years old. Same. You know? Yeah, we moved a lot when I was a kid, and we were also in, like, an immigrant community, mm-hmm. sort of straddling. And so, like, a lot of the kids did know each yes. other. But not all of them, right? right? Yeah. Okay. Let's go to the next one. All right. I, I love this one. So everyone knows that autistic people take everything literally, right? Sort of. Do you make puns? Do you hear double meanings in things others say and riff on them, even to the point of annoying others? Do you compulsively point out ambiguity, even if you've parsed it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know about you, but like, I, I don't know. I'm trying to, I've, people have asked me like what I mean by this. And so the example I just made up is if my partner says, hey, can you pass me the coffee, honey? I might say, I don't see any coffee, honey, over here. There's just this coffee. Do you want that? Yeah, aren't we hilarious? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's not, it's not funny. And it is compulsive. And I never understood why I do this thing that annoys the people in my life <laughs> until somebody pointed out that this is just how we process that ambiguity. This mm-hmm. is like, if the sense were stronger, this would be the case of not being able to understand sarcasm or mm-hmm. metaphor. Yeah. Right? No, we, we get it. We get the sarcasm and the metaphor. And mm-hmm. we're so fascinated by it that we take it to the next level. Yeah, because if anything can mean anything, well, hang on, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like... And again, with the Shakespeare, like Shakespeare is a feast, an absolute feast of layers and quadruple meanings. And we'll never know if Shakespeare was autistic, but I tell you what, Shakespeare gives yeah. me food for my brain. Because every time I think, oh, I've plumbed all the meanings of this particular word... I'll read something else, I'll find somebody else's critique of the play, or learn about something completely different, maybe relating to early modern history, and realize that there's a connection, say, between the name Sebastian and a tendency to be impetuous and foolish, and then that brings (laughs) on this whole other layer of things. Oh, gosh, I just love it. And at one point, I was talking to a friend of mine who's an editor, And I said, I can't diagram a sentence because Hmm. there's too many layers of meaning. And I challenged her to diagram a Shakespeare sentence full of four or five puns, and she couldn't do it. It's not Mm -hmm. possible. So I had terrible trouble understanding grammar because the way they tried to teach it to me was in this very kind of linear way. I had to learn to think of grammar more as a sound, as a rhythm, Interesting. than dividing it up into all these little things. And I recognize that there are lots of people, including autistics, who are really good at diagramming sentences and seeing that system, and it works for them. I'm not one of them. This, this is... Like, yeah, this is a big departure for me because I'm totally the opposite. Mm-hmm. For me... Grammar has never been about learning all the little Mm -hmm. rules. Grammar is literally just a system. And growing up bilingual, one of the big assets that I got from that is recognizing that the same sounds in English, a string of sounds in English and a string of sounds in Ukrainian can have the same meaning. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean about the nature of meaning and the nature of grammar? In other words, whether I'm speaking in English or speaking in Ukrainian or writing code or writing tweets or whatever, I've got this complex model and I'm just going to serialize it. And the grammar is automatic for me. I don't, when I was five years old, I used to correct my father's grammar in Ukrainian. (laughs) But yeah, it's one of those things where when there's a grammatical error, I sense it before I know what the error is. It is so Mm -hmm. baked into my neural Mm -hmm. pathways. And that's why people like me need people like you (laughs) really badly. (laughs) So that our writing makes sense. I've gotten better at it. I'm actually pretty good at it now, but I was terrible. I just couldn't use it at all. And interestingly, there was somebody who did architecture PhD or something, did their entire thesis with no grammar. Mm. And it's totally readable. Hmm. So it's one of those systems that is not quite as solid as we'd like to think that it is, for sure. Yeah, oh, sure. No model is, right? Okay, let's go to the next one. Uh, This is the last of the questions, and it 
just says, do you find that you have some days where you just can't human? Are you like mostly fine because that little voice in your head that says everything is on fire is easy enough to ignore (laughs) until it isn't? And you spend hours sobbing for reasons that you don't understand. This is not unique to autism, obviously. Any number of people struggle for any number of reasons. I think if I had understood how this thread was going to take off, I would have said something more concretely specific about autistic burnout. But this is something that until I knew I was autistic, I really never understood why there were days where I couldn't get out of bed. And am I depressed? It seems like I'm depressed, but these antidepressants don't change anything. Mm -hmm. What's what's really happening here? Yeah, it's just kind of an overload. And much like Samantha Kraft's list, everybody might do one or two of these things. Mm -hmm. But if you go through and go, oh, yeah, that's me. That's, oh, yep, yep, that one too. Oh, look at, oh, huh, yeah, that one too. If you go through that whole list and it's all stuff that you resonate with, then at Mm -hmm. that point it's time to look into your identity a little closer and see if the autistic traits and model of being is something that will help you negotiate your life a little better. Yeah, and that's what it comes down to, is just you have to understand Mm -hmm. it. So then this thread took off. Yeah, there's a lot more for listeners uh, after this. There's a lot more after this. Probably another hundred tweets Mm -hmm. after this. People in... And some great discussion around it, too. Wonderful discussion. Just amazing. And let's tell everybody what your Twitter handle is. And you have... This is your pinned tweet right now. Yeah, this is my pinned tweet. My Twitter handle is just my name, uh, M-Y-K-O-L-A, Mikola. So find me there and find the pinned tweet if you're interested. you can find that there. All right, Mikola, I really enjoyed talking to you. And while our voices are still inside of our listeners' heads, is there anything that you'd like to say to them? I guess the last thing I'd like to say is, if you're interested, I'm I'm pretty passionate about trying to reach other undiagnosed adults. And that means presenting and translating what it means to be autistic into terms that are relatable for human beings and not just these sort of abstract behavioralist constructions. Mm-hmm. And so to that end, I've, uh, I've created a space on Reddit, created a subreddit called Autism Translated. And the purpose of this space is to allow other autistic people, and myself, I I write posts there pretty frequently, to describe what it's like to be autistic from the inside so that we have this space with these resources and these descriptions, and we don't have to just be hunting around between blogs of autistic adults. We've got just a one-stop place to try to find all of these different representations in all of their diversity. And so the more people I can get to join me there and then help contribute to fleshing out this broad sense of who we really are as Mm -hmm. a people, uh, I think the better for everyone and the more people we'll be able to reach. So I hope to see you there. Wonderful. Well, I know I joined the subreddit. I don't actually spend a whole lot of time on Reddit, but for those of you that maybe are a little nervous about joining Reddit, it's all about the subreddit and who is in charge of that subreddit in terms of what the culture is like there. And I can guarantee you that if Mick is in charge, that it's going to be a warm, friendly, and welcoming home for you. So don't be shy if you've never gone to Reddit before. You can just go ahead and be part of that one subreddit and enjoy that community and then venture out a little bit into other subreddits if you are so inclined. And if you are already a Redditor, then get your tushy over there. And last point, if you're just curious and just want to read, you can, it's all public. You don't have to actually have an account or join. That's only if you want to participate and leave comments and post. But it's all there if you just are Absolutely. Curious. We love our lurkers. Don't be afraid to lurk. Mm-hmm. It's just fine. Okay, Mick, well, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And Cool. Thanks so much for thank having me. Thank you for me. being actually autistic. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> Bye. Take care.